It's good to be with you guys tonight. It's, uh, it's an honor to be with you. Still kind of coughing a little bit from my sickness last week, and so if I do that, I apologize. But I want to I want to invite you tonight to turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Timothy, if you brought one. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we're also going to be spending a lot of time in Psalm 119. So we'll be in those two places, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and Psalm 119. We're going to kind of go back and forth. But we began a series last week called This Matters, where... We're essentially looking at becoming and being the people that God, or rather that Jesus said we were going to be. When he asked the disciples, he asked them a question. He said, who do people say that I am? They answered. And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And uh, and he said, "Uh, Peter, you're right. The Lord revealed that to you. Blessed are you. And he said, Peter, upon that rock, upon this rock, the rock of, of the people that make that confession, that I'm the Christ and the Son of the living God. He said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. And so Jesus said two things about us, about you. <clears throat> he said, one, that you are the church. You are the church. You're not a group of people that goes to church and attends church. You are the church. And the second thing he said about us, about you and me, is that, is that not only would be a people that are the church, but we're going to be a people that don't just believe in the doctrine of hell, but we're going to be a people that are hell overcomers, that the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And last week, the whole message was about how there's a couple of things that have to happen in your life for you to make that transition from a church attender to a person whose identity is found in the fact that Jesus said you're the church. When a person just maybe believes in hell to a person who's kicking down the gates of hell. We talked about Ephesians 2.10, a great verse where the scripture tells us that we are his poetry. We are his poem. We're his work of art. That We're not just thrown together, but that we come from the heart of God. And that we were created in Christ Jesus. Jesus did this great work of art in us. And we were created in Jesus for something. For something, we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's something God wants us to do. There's more that he wants for our life. And we were created in Christ Jesus for good works so that we could walk, or rather that God prepared beforehand. The Bible says that we could walk in them. And last week we talked a ton about how the fact that, that, that it can't be you know, God's big, great, eternal plan for you and for me just to come to church a couple of times on a Sunday or a couple of times on a Sunday, a month, a couple times a month to church and to hear some sermons and to sing some songs and then just to go about our lives. But if God has been preparing these good works for us from before we were born, before we were saved, that there's probably more for us that he has in store for our lives. We talked about community. <clears throat> we talked about the, the, the essential nature of community for us to be able to endure in this Ephesians 2.10 life. That the scripture doesn't say you are his poem. The scripture says that we are his poem. The Bible doesn't say that we are, or rather you're created in Christ Jesus, but we are created in Christ Jesus. That God, for good works, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We talked a ton last week about how you were never meant to live out Ephesians 2.10 by yourself. All right, now that's, that's last week. Now this week is what we're going to talk about is one of the... Um, I would say probably one of the most critical components of us living that Ephesians 2.10 life, of being the church, of of being a a, a church that overcomes hell, and that is the word of God. 
It's the word of God. It's, it's the scripture. For us to live out Ephesians 2, 10 together, the word of God, the, the scripture has to be a critical component to that, right? And the rest of my time today, a simple message. Here's what I'm going to do if you're taking notes. I'm going to go through four reasons why we as a church and that you as a person should value the Bible. Very simply, four reasons why you should value the scripture. We're going to look at that biblically, and then at the end, we're just going to apply it. In light of, of how we're to value the scripture, here's what we're supposed to do. Now, I want to say this just in the front. This is a very easy message uh, to understand. There's nothing profound in this message. I'm not going to say anything that's going to blow your mind. Um, there's probably nothing I'm going to talk about tonight, if you've been in church for a while, that you have not heard before. But... There's probably some things that I'm going to talk about tonight that you may or may not be doing. And so let our prayer be tonight that not only would we be hearers of the word of God, but we'd be a church that's doers of the word of God. All right, so here we are. First, first reason we should value the Bible, the scripture. Here it is. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul speaking here, he says, all scripture... All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so the very first, very first thing out of the blocks, why we should value the Bible is because the scripture says about itself is that it, it is the very words of God. The scripture are the words that come out of God's mouth. Now, here's the thing. Um, the, the New American Standard, it translates that same verse as all scripture is inspired by God. Inspired by, I'm not a big fan of that particular translation of that verse. Because I think you could read that, that the scripture is inspired by God. And you could think, well, maybe God just motivated the human authors to write. But the scripture is really sourced from that human author. That's not what it's saying. In the Greek, the, the word breathe there is pneuma. It means it came out. It was breathed out of God's very mouth. And so in a very real sense, when we're hearing the word of God preached, when we're reading the word of God in our times with the Lord, we're hearing and we're reading his voice. And I think that's crucial for us just to keep that in mind. When we're reading the Bible, God, I'm hearing the voice of the Lord right now. One of the questions that I get asked a ton um, in, in my time in the ministry is this one. It's, Matt, how do I know <clears throat> what God's will is for my life? How do I know what God's will is for me? I've got this decision and I've got these choices that I have to make. Do I go here? Do I go here? Do I do this? Do I go to this college? This college? Do I take this major? Do this major? Do I take this job or this job? Do I marry this girl or do I marry that girl or whatever? And I have this choice. I was, just got caught up in that. Sorry, don't do that. But I, how do I know God's will for my life? And I want you to listen. Turn to Psalm 119. Listen to David and what he says enables him to discern the will of God for his life. Psalm 119, verse 103. He says, in verse 103, he says, How sweet are your words to my taste. He says, Sweeter than honey to my mouth. This guy loves the word of God. Now watch this, he says, through your precepts, that's the word of God, he says, through your precepts, I get understanding. I get understanding, I, therefore I hate the false way. He said, I know which way is right, I know which way is wrong based on God, your word. And then, and then a verse that he says there in verse 105 that a lot of us know, he says, your word, God, is a lamp to my feet. 
into light into my path. David said, he said, God, your word illuminates my path. God, your word shines a light on the direction, on the, on the way that I am supposed to walk. That's what it's saying. And let me just ask you a really simple question because this is convicting to me as I studied for this. How often when you have a decision in your life, do you go to the word of God to find direction? I just, if I'm totally honest with you, I pray. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot up a prayer and say, God, will you help me make the decision? But then a lot of times I just get real pragmatic and I'll look at all the circumstances and I'll choose which direction I think is best. But what the psalmist here, what David is saying is he's saying, God, in verse 104, he's saying, through your precepts, I gain understanding. <clears throat> Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And that is the only, I want you to hear this. It's the only way you can have confidence that the path you are taking is the path God wants you to take is if he speaks to you through his word, through his word. And that's, and that's, what our, that's why we value the Bible is because when we're reading it, when we're hearing it, we are able to discern God's will and we're able to hear the voice of the Lord when we do it. Okay, so that's very simple. That's the first one. We value the word of God because it is the word and the words of God. Now here's number two. The second reason we value the word of God is what we're gonna see, go back to 2 Timothy, is not only is the scripture breathed out by God, it's his words, but what the scripture tells us is that those words are what equip us. Those words are what gives you the ability. It's, it's what trains you to be able to live out the Ephesians 2.10 life, all right? So let's look at it, 2 Timothy 3.16. So all scriptures God is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We're to be trained in righteousness. And we'll look at verse 17. He says, so that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. He says, this is what equips you for the good, for the good works. Now, here's the thing. A lot of you last week, you were here last week and you heard Ephesians 2.10 and you heard me talking about and, and, and walking through the scripture that you're God's poem. That you're just not some afterthought, but you're his work of art. There was effort and time put into you that you were fearfully and wonderfully made and that God didn't just make you and save you and let you go, but he's actually been planning things for you. That he has good works that he's been ordaining for you to walk in. And when you heard that, the light came on and you're like, okay, I, God, I'm, I'm in. If that's true and I believe that it's true, then, then God, I want to walk in the good works you have planned for me. Some of, you, some of you said that to the Lord last night. I saw on Twitter this week, it was really cool. This girl just wrote, wrote that down in her, in her um, journal or something. She goes, God, I believe that I'm your work of art and I was created for more and remind me of that. I love that. And some of y'all did that. You raised your hand and said, God, I'm in. Well, what the verse just said, what 2 Timothy just said, is what's gonna equip you? What's gonna make you competent to be able to do those good works is the word of God, right? In Psalm 119, David just keeps saying that over and over again. By the way, Psalm 119 is an amazing chapter in the Bible. It's one of the biggest chapters in the Bible. It's the biggest chapter in Psalms. There's 176 verses in the chapter, uh, in uh, Psalms 119, and then for 176 verses, all David does over and over again is talk about that, how the word of God equips him to do the stuff, gives him the ability 
to do the stuff God wants him to do. Let me just read a couple of verses. Psalm 119, <coughs> verse 97. Watch what he says. He says, oh, how I love your law. He says, I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Look what he says in verse 101. He says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules because you have taught me. Right, David says a couple of things. There's a couple of things that he gains through the Psalms there. There's something he gains through the word of the Lord there. The first thing he says is that he gets wisdom. That's one of the ways that, that God equips, his, equips him is by giving him wisdom. Now church, one of the things I've learned, the older I get, the more I realize how valuable wisdom is. Wisdom is incredibly valuable. And there's a, there's a big difference between wisdom and intelligence. There's a monumental difference between wisdom and intelligence. Intelligence is an IQ thing. And, 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 but wisdom is knowing the correct course of action that you should take in any given situation. And guys, I'd much rather have wisdom than intelligence. Because you can be intelligent and do some really stupid stuff because you don't have wisdom. And, and I'm a classic example of a person that before I gained wisdom in a lot of areas, I did stupid stuff. I'll tell you about one of them. Um, when I was first married, and I had just gotten married. I might have been engaged. I don't really remember. I need to ask my wife. Um, but we, we were either just uh, married or were engaged, about to get married. And we went to a marriage conference, okay? And um, we went to this marriage conference. And I don't remember a ton about the marriage conference, but I remember this that one of the guys was talking, was talking about how men and, women, men and women are really wired differently and that men are problem solvers and women a lot of times don't want to solve a particular problem. They just want to be cared for. And so if your wife is telling you about a problem, then men don't try to solve the problem, just convey empathy or sympathy. I don't know the difference between the two, but it's like one of those, you show them care. <clears throat> and so I remember thinking, okay, I can do that. And, um, but then we, next few days, we were driving around, and, and Jennifer was drinking a Diet Coke. Now, some of y'all might remember me. I told this story like two or three years ago in a marriage sermon. But I, 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 I was drinking, she was drinking this Diet Coke, and she looked at me as she was drinking it, putting it to her face, drinking it. She said, Matt, I think this Diet Coke is making my head hurt. Now, men, when your girl looks at you and says, you know, she's drinking a Diet Coke, she said, I think this Diet Coke is making my head hurt. What is your natural response to that statement? What do you say? Stop drinking the Diet Coke, which is exactly what I said. Notes out the window. I looked at her and I said, I said, well, girl, stop drinking the Diet Coke. <laughs> that was not wise because she started crying. True story. <laughs> she starts crying. She, she goes, that guy at the conference was right. You don't care about me. You just want to solve my problems. You don't want to listen to what I'm saying. And I'm thinking, what in the world have I gotten into? But I gained wisdom through that situation. One I learned, don't go to marriage conferences. They cause more problems than they solve. Just joking about that. But two, I learned what I should have said to my wife. When she looks at me and says, hey, my, I think this 
Diet Coke is making my head hurt. You don't say, well, quit drinking the Diet Coke. What you look at, you look at, I should look at my wife. Men, take notes. You should look at your wife and go, baby, I'm sorry that thing makes your head hurt. Come here, girl, let me hold you. Come here. Bad Diet Coke, right? Tell me all about it, right? That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Now, I learned that through experience. I learned that that's wisdom. That's like, okay, two courses of action. Wisdom says take that course of action. I learned that through experience, but where could I have learned it? I could have learned it in the Bible because that's what 1 Peter 3, 7, you can read it. It's what it says. It doesn't talk about Diet Coke, but it says live with your wife in an understanding way. It's basically, it just says, get a PhD in your wife. Know how she's wired. And if she's the kind of girl that doesn't want you to fix your problem, she just wants to be heard, then just convey care. Don't solve the problem. I could have learned that wisdom by reading the Bible, and that's what David is saying. He's like, when I read the scripture, I don't gain intelligence, I gain wisdom. And that's awesome. He's like, I, I, I learn things in, the, in how I should act, the direction I should go, the way I should be, and, and, it, and, it's, and it puts me past the older folks in my life because I have wisdom. That's what he says you can have. The, the second thing that David says you get from the scripture is you get the, you get the ability to walk in, in holiness. And in Psalms 119, 101, he says, I hold, <coughs> I hold back my feet from evil from the evil way in order to keep your word. He said, I do not turn aside from your rules because you have taught me. Your word keeps me walking in the way that I should walk. And just, man, let me just tell you just a little pastoral counseling here. Guys, there's something I've learned in my life and it's just real simple, but I'm, I'm telling you, man, I've, I've seen it be true over and over and over again in my life that when I'm, there, there's a direct connection between my holiness and my time in the word. And I've just, I've just seen it. For a guy who's been around a while, man, I've just seen it. And when I look back at the times in my life where I'm struggling with stuff and I'm falling into temptation and, and sin easily snares me, I've noticed that there were times in my life when I wasn't really consistently getting in the word. But at the times in my life where I am walking well with him, when I'm, I'm able to push aside temptation and and, and, and walk in holiness. I can look at like my REAP journal, which I'm gonna talk about in a couple of minutes. And, and, um, and, and, and I can just look and I'm, man, I'm in the word. And there's just something about being immersed in the words of the Lord and just hearing his voice and, and being there with him that just gives you the ability to walk in the way that you ought to walk. And so that's what David's saying. He's saying, I, I, don't, I do not turn aside from your rules because you have taught me. All right, and so, so far, that's, this is what we've learned. We've learned that the word of God is God's word. It's the, the words of the Lord. So when we hear in the, the scripture, we hear him speak. And two, the word of God equips us. It gives us the ability um, to do the stuff that God's called us to do. Okay, now, number three, and this is a big one. It's, it's, um, and we see it in John chapter one, verse one. You don't have to turn there, just read it real quick. And that this is a big one. And that we learn through <coughs> John chapter one, verse one, this, John says, it, he says, in the beginning was the word. Okay, he's in the beginning was the word. Now he's calling Jesus the word. He's saying in the very beginning, Jesus was there. And then he calls him the word again. He said, and the word was with God. He's saying Jesus, the word was with God. And then at the end, he says, and the word 
was God. He makes this incredible statement. He uses the word logos there for the word. Jesus is the logos of God, and Jesus, the word, is God. He's saying Jesus is the word, and he's God. Now, listen, I, I don't have time today to go into all the theological implications of what that means and how he gets, draws those conclusions, but here is the point that he is trying to make. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And so when you are reading the words of this book, when you are reading the words of scripture, you are in a very real way encountering the person of Jesus. In a very real way, the Bible is Jesus. And you're getting to, when you get into the word, you get to know Jesus more. And who among us would not want to know Jesus more? I mean, think about it. If somehow Jesus were to come in the flesh and come up to you and say, hey, I, wanna, I want you to know me more. I want to spend some time with you tonight. Let's go to dinner tonight. Let's go to coffee tonight. I, I, I want to tell you about myself. I want you to learn more about me. I want to know more about you. <clears throat> How many among us would not do that? The vast majority in the room would say, I'm in. Single girls, let me use you as an example, just what I'm talking about, put some flesh on this. Let's pretend you had a date Thursday night, right? You had a date Thursday night, and this guy was unbelievable. He was amazing. He's like a cross between Noah and the Notebook and like Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice and like the guy from Thor, right, from the Avengers. <laughs> he's like a cross between those three guys. And he's asked you on Thursday night at sunset, and y'all are going to go on a canoe and like go on a pond in a canoe with some swans. Like, and that's the date. But man, Jesus, somehow Jesus would have come to you and say, hey, I know you're hanging out with, with, with Noah, but I, I, I would love to just get to know you more and I would love for you to know me more and let's just encounter each other and know each other better and, and I want to do that with you Thursday night at sunset. Man, I just got to believe that, that the vast majority of us would say, sorry, Noah, I've got a date with a better man, right? That's what we're being offered. That's what we're being offered in the scripture. He sings the word is Jesus. And so when we get in the word tomorrow morning, if you get up and you like open up your Bible, you're encountering, the word says it, not me, the word says you're encountering the person of Jesus. You get to know him more and that ought to fire you up. That ought to fire you up. It ought to be the passion, church. Church, it ought to be the passion of your heart to know Jesus more. Because here's the thing, honestly, if you don't want to know Jesus more, it it might be because you don't know Jesus. If you don't want to know him more, it might be because you don't know him. Because the cry of every person's heart that knows Jesus is, oh my goodness, I want to know him more. What the Bible claims is when you get in the word of God, you're going to do that. You're going to know him more. So the scripture, that's why I value it. It's breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God. It's the word of God. It equips us. It trains us for good works. Uh, and it helps us know better the love of our lives, which is Jesus. Okay, last reason <coughs> why we should value the word of God. The, and, and why we should value the word of God is how it affects our community. How it affects our community. Last week we talked about how the gospel, the cross of Jesus, does not just restore you back into a relationship with God. But the gospel was meant to restore you back into missional community. God created Adam. They had a relationship with each other. And then God put him to work 
He gave him a mission. He said, tend the garden, subdue the earth. And then he looked at Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone. And so he created Eve. He created for Adam a missional community, community that they could be on mission together for God. But Adam sinned. We lost it. And not only we lost relationship with God, but we lost that missional community. And so when we're restored back into relationship with God, we're meant to be restored back into that community. It's what you were created for. And what I'm thinking and what I'm seeing is that the Bible is the foundation. It's kind of the glue that makes that biblical, awesome, missional community possible. I think you see that happen in the, in the story of Jonathan and David. You know the story of Jonathan and David? Um, great friendship, Jonathan and David. Let me just read quickly a verse that talks about their friendship in 1 Samuel 18.1. It says, now it came, listen, listen to their community, kind of what bound them together and, and how how deep their community was. In, in, in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And so Saul took him, that's David, that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now, the Bible just said two things about the relationship. One, that they were knitted together at the level of the soul. Their souls were knitted together. And the second thing is that they loved each other as much as they loved themselves, and that's a lot, okay? Now, when I was growing up, when I was in high school, I had a couple of friends. We started being buds when we were in the fifth grade, and we were friends all the way through when I was a senior in high school. And we were tight. We cared about each other. We liked each other. We spent a ton of time together. And I remember one time, I don't remember whether I was alone or I heard this preach, I don't remember, but somehow I got, got my hands on this, this little story right here. And I remember reading it, and I remember thinking as a kid, you know, my friends and I that I have are close, by the way, we were not believers. I remember thinking, my friends and I are close, we have a lot in common, we like each other, we, we hang out, but I remember thinking that you probably couldn't describe our friendship as a knitting of souls. And I remember thinking that, you, that, that these guys like me, but I, I don't know that I could say that they love me the way that they loved themselves. And I remember as a kid reading the story of Jonathan and David, and I remember thinking, I want that. I don't have that, but I want that. And here's the thing. Now, what, what does it mean that their souls were knitted together? Real simply, it means they had a spiritual connection. That their friendship was based on something deeper than just the circumstances of their life. There was, there's something deeper going on than that. And so they had a spiritual connection. Now, how do you think that spiritual connection occurred? That knitting of the soul, how do you think it happened? Give some insight. Don't turn there. Psalm 63.1. Let me just read one verse to you here. And I want you to see, or a couple of verses here. Let's see if you can figure out what is the passion of David's soul. It says, a psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, he says, oh God, you are my God. And I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And do you hear the passion of his soul there? The guys in the desert, man, 
He's being chased by Jonathan's dad. Jonathan's dad, Saul, is trying to kill him. And David is praying. He's saying, God, I am in a dry and I am in a weary land where there is no water. And I want you to know, God, that right here, right now, as thirsty as I am, my soul thirsts for you. The passion of David's soul was the Lord. It was the passion of his soul. It was the Lord. Now, what was the passion of Jonathan's soul? It was the Lord. It was the Lord. They'd be in this, in the Old Testament, you can read it, they'd be in these big crazy fights, the people of Israel, and, and Jonathan would be leading them. And everybody would be freaking out. What are we going to do? We're all going to die. And Jonathan would be the one that would stand up and say, we're not going to die. We need to trust in the Lord because he's going to see us through. The passion of Jonathan's soul was the Lord. And so this depth of friendship came about not because of some external circumstance, but because they were connected at the level of the soul. It's the only explanation for their friendship. It's the only explanation for why these two guys would say, I love you the way I love myself. It's because they both had a passion and a love for the Lord and his word. Now, I mean, if you think about it, Jonathan, his dad's the king of Israel. David, his dad was a guy that herded sheep. Jonathan grew up in a palace. David grew up in a tent. Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. David was the man that was handpicked by God to take the throne of Israel instead of Jonathan. These guys, when you look at their circumstances, especially in that culture, there's no reason they're friends, but the Lord knitted them together at the level of the soul. You got a friend like that? Do you have community like that? Well, you've got this person in your life and you look at their life and you're like, man, the circumstances would, it doesn't make a ton of sense for us to be friends, but the Lord has knitted our souls together and I'm finding community with this person, with this group of people that I never found with my friends in high school when we were chasing all the stuff of the world. I've got a friend like that. It's Aaron Ivey. Makes no sense whatsoever that we're friends, whatsoever. When, that we just don't have a ton in, in common. I mean, when you think about it, uh, you just look at the external circumstances, you go, why are those guys as, as good of friends than they are? And I want you to know something, Aaron and I aren't just friends, we love each other. We love each other like we love ourselves. We're, we're knitted, our souls are knitted together. He knows everything I've ever done. He knows all the junk, all the stuff. I know all the stuff he's done. We confess sin to one another. We love each other. We have a deep friendship. How did that happen when he is a hipster and I am a redneck? <laughs> How did that happen? And it's like consummate hipster, consummate redneck, right? I'm just attempting to dress like a hipster sorta right now, but I much would prefer to be in camouflage. I've got a list here. I'll keep going. He wears skinny jeans. I wore skinny jeans once, and it wasn't pretty at all. Um, he likes the city. I like the country. He likes uh, coffee shops. He hangs out in them. I, I, I don't get that. I like Cabela's. I hang out in Cabela's. Um, he spent a huge portion of his life as a vegetarian. I shoot stuff and then I eat it, right? He, <clears throat> I drive a silver, really big silver 4x4 pickup truck. He drives a silver moped. I kid you not. He drives a silver Vespa. Why are we friends? It makes no sense in the world. But I'll tell you why we're friends. I'll tell you why we're friends. I want to just, I want to read you a text he sent me one time and I, 
I think you'll understand why there's the connection there that transcends circumstances. This was a while back, but he said, Matt, just got a text in the morning, one, one morning. He said, I have a word for you today, amigo. He said, I know you're tired and stretched, and with that comes the temptation to preach and to lead and to speak out of tiredness. He said, Matt, I read this today in Charles Spurgeon's book, The Treasury of David, and he said, I thought I would send it to you, for there's a river whose streams shall make glad. There's a river of divine grace, like a smoothly flowing, fertilizing, full and never failing river that brings refreshment and comfort to believers. This is the river of the water of life. The church above as well as the church below partakes of it forever. This river is not stopped in its course by earthquakes or crumbling mountains. It follows a serene course without disturbance. Happy are they who know from experience there is such a river of life. He says, Matt, I'm praying for you that the flowing, fertilizing, full, never failing river brings refreshment and comfort to you this morning. Okay, that's why we're friends. That's why that connection is there. That's why we have a depth of connection that I never had with my two friends in high school. It's because of our mutual love for God's word. It's because of our mutual love for Jesus. And it's because of the mission that he and I are on together. That God has taken these two men that have absolutely no business whatsoever being friends and he's done something unbelievable, miraculous. He's knitted us together at the level of the soul. The word of God allows you to do that with people. It does, and that's why we value it. We value it because it's his voice. We value the word of God because through it he equips us for the work he's called us to. We value the word of God because through it we know Jesus better. We're encountering Jesus, and we value the word of God because through it we find a depth of friendship that I am convinced is impossible outside of the people of God. That's why we value the word. And I'll end today quickly. I'm done here. I'll end today with just some, just some quick application. Okay, I don't normally do this. Just go, okay, here's the point. Now, what do we do? But that's what I want to do. I just want to say, here's the point. This is what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We, we need to value the word of God, and this is what that means. I want you to be a person of the word of God. It's one of the best gifts you could ever give yourself. Just to be a person that is immersed in the word of God, to be a person that's in love with his word, person that hears the voice of the Lord, that knows Jesus, that walks in holiness, that learns wisdom. It's just, I want that for you so badly, but it's like, I can't do that for you. One of the best tools you could ever use for that is our REAP journal. We have them right outside the door here. It's what I use. I use it all the time. It's just a little journal. It's very user-friendly. It's very easy. It just helps you read a section of Scripture a day. You can read as much as you want, as little as you have time for. You can read a sec section of Scripture. It teaches you how to journal through that and pray through that. You put a date on it. And so 10 years from now, you can go back and you can read on what God was teaching you on September 15, 2013. And it'll blow your mind. Oh, God was showing me that about himself 10 years ago. I do it all the time. I go back and read my old reap journals and see what God was showing me years ago. I want you to be a person of the word. On top of that, I want us to be a church of the word. I want us to be a church of the word of God. I, I said it in my prayer earlier. It was blowing my mind. I was just sitting here thinking the seven o'clock service at the Austin Stone, full of college kids, full of, of young folks, singles. And they told me, so many people tell me, Matt, you, couldn't you can't come to Austin and just preach verse by verse through the Bible and expect people to come hear it. You proved them wrong. 
And we're always going to be a church that preaches the book. We always are. When you graduate or you get another job or you get married and you go somewhere else, go find a church that preaches the book. Do it. Don't settle for a church that doesn't preach the word of God because you have no guarantee you're hearing from the Lord unless that guy is preaching from the word of God. It's the only guarantee you have. So we're going to be a church that preaches the book and we're also going to be this. We're going to be a person that values the message more than we value the messenger. We're going, to, we're going to value what's preached more than we value who, who it is that's preaching it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't value our pastors. I'm saying that we're going to lift up the message more than we lift up the messenger. Some of the things that's going to be changing over the course of this semester and next, we're going to start a Saturday night service. It's probably going to be at another campus. We're still going to have all our services here at the high school, all four of them. Uh, but we're going to start a Saturday night service that's going to be live. It's not going to be video. Our 5 o'clock service here at the high school is going to be live. We're going to have a live preacher in there. So we're going to have a live preacher Saturday night, four times on Sunday, and it kind of hit us that that would be really difficult for one person to come and preach all five of those services, and so, you know, because we'd kill them. And so we have been praying about this for years, and the elders have come to the conclusion that we're going to go to a two-preacher model on a Sunday, that we're going to have two guys that are going to be preaching. One of them's going to preach Saturday night in the two Sunday morning services, and then there's going to be a live preacher five and seven o'clock. We're going to preach the same message. It'll probably be a little different based on our life experience, but the same text. We're going to work together. And here's the thing. It's, it's going to be amazing for, uh, for us because we're going to get to hear from some of the best young preachers in this country. You got, you got uh, Tyler Davids, one of the best 20-something preachers in this country. I travel all over the place, man. I hear him. It's one of the best in the country. Chad Kenser, our college pastor. It's one of the best young preachers in this country. Guy won the preaching award for Southern Seminary, which is a seminary that's huge and that's known for its preaching. He won the, won the preaching award. You're going to get to hear him. Um, we're, you're going to get to hear, you're going to hear Jeff Mangum. Jeff, I don't know if you've noticed, but Jeff's kind of back. He was gone for a while, and that's because Jeff almost died. I'm not joking. He almost died. But he, did, he survived, and he's, he'll tell you about it probably tomorrow night. Are you preaching tomorrow or next Sunday? Jeff's preaching. He'll tell you all about it. But he's back, so we're excited about him being back. He's amazing. And, and so you're going to get to hear from some amazing, amazing amazing preachers of the word of God. And here's the thing. I don't want you to email us asking who's preaching what service. Don't do that. We're not even going to answer it because we're going to be a church that doesn't follow the messenger. We're going to follow the message. And the last thing is this. The last thing is this. I want to exhort you to get in community. I want you to find, I I beg you to find scripture-centered, God-focused biblical, soul-knitted community. I want you to find that. I want that for you. It's so critical for you. Please listen to me. It's so critical for you to finish the race. There's a lot of you that aren't going to finish the race. It's just a fact. Jesus said that was going to happen, and you're going you're to be able to trace it back for why it happened, and you're going to be able to see. It's, it's the moment that I got out of biblical community that the enemy started eating my lunch. Find biblical community. Some of y'all heard last week, you heard me tell the story of Kevin Peck, my friend, as I was walking through in discouragement, and he came up to me and said, hey, man, we're bad boys for life. We ride together, we die together, right? Y'all, y'all remember that? And y'all heard the story about me talking about Aaron and the soul-knitted friendship that I have with him and, and, and how I have men in my life that when I don't want to fight anymore, they fight for me. And some of y'all are like, man, I want that so bad. I need that so badly in my life, but I don't have it. Here's here's the next step. Your next step is not to say, I want to go find somebody to do that for me or to be that for me. 
your first step is for you to go out there and you to find somebody that you can be that for them. You go be that for them. And if we do, church, if we do, I'm telling you, if we become a church full of people that are knitted together at the level of the soul on mission together for his glory, living out Ephesians 2.10 together, I promise you if that happens, we will do some serious damage to the gates of hell in our lifetime until Jesus brings us home. And so let's ask God to do that in us. All right, let's pray. (coughs) Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power and its clarity. And I pray tonight, tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, when, when we pause in our crazy busy schedules and we sit down in your word. Lord, I pray that it would be everything you said it would be for us. And God, I pray that you would change us and make us into a people and a church of the word, that we would be the people you've called us to be, that we would walk in the good works you've prepared for us. God, I ask that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.